All right, I believe our children have already gone off to Children's Church, but I will still say by way of reminder that we do have children's services from nursery all the way up to second grade. And so if you have a little one uh, in nursery or all the way up to second grade, they are welcome to head out to children's services. They do not have to. Um, They are also welcome to stay here and to be a part of our time worshiping together. We are going to continue on in our study of the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3, and we're going to look at the entire um, chapter of Acts chapter 3, but we're not going to read the entire chapter here at the beginning. Um, But we are going to read a good chunk just so that we can kind of get a good feel for what's happening. Believe it or not, the events that are going to happen at the beginning of chapter 3 are going to affect the story all the way through chapter 4. So what I want you to do as we kind of get into it today, make sure that you really put to mind what is happening, and then I want you to realize that everything that happens after these first few verses of chapter 3 is going to affect what's going on in the church for literally the next couple of chapters. So with that in mind, this morning, We're going to read Acts chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to go ahead and read through to verse 16 just so we can get the full effect of, of what is happening in this chapter. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Now, the Word of God says this. It says, Now Peter and John were going to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man was lame from birth and was being carried there, and he was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful, so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and they said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonished at what had happened to him. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw that, he addressed the people, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed by this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk on our own power or on our own godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate. Though he had decided to release him, he denied the holy, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released for you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this by faith. In his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. Please be seated. I think if we asked 
teachers, and I know we have several teachers in the room, one of which I am married to in the very back. Everybody stare at her and make her feel uncomfortable. I think if we ask most teachers in the room, what is their favorite thing about teaching, I think most of them would answer in a similar way. And whether you're training to be a teacher and you're a teacher's aide or you are a teacher and whether you teach kindergarten or, or STEM or you're, you're teaching a, a, a higher education, whatever it might be, I think we would get some similar answers. Now, we all know that teachers do not teach for the money. You would think we could do something about that, but I digress. You know that their job, we know that their job is hard, that their hours are long, that they spend a lot of money out of pocket just so that they have the things to make their classroom fun and to see their children be successful. Am I doing okay right now? My wife's like, I don't know where you're going with this, so I don't know. But I think that there is a joy, and I've seen this and I've heard of this from, from several teachers, and I've definitely heard this from my wife. There is a joy in teaching when you see a student get it. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, we even have a college teacher here. When you see a teacher, when you see a student, get it. When a teacher is working with a student, and, and whether it's teaching them math or science or teaching them how to read or, or anything else, and you suddenly realize that they understand. And even to the point that they understand and they don't need you to tell them what to do in that particular instance anymore that now suddenly they get the math concept, and so now the adding or the subtracting or, or the differential equations, whatever it might be, are something that they can actually do. When it's writing or when it's reading, and it's something that they have now learned a skill that, will, that they will use and will, will shape the rest of their life. Watching a child figure out a math concept, watching them learn to read, or even just seeing them suddenly pick up a book and just start reading it. And not only read it, but enjoy it. That's success for a teacher, isn't it? When suddenly you see that they have not only you've taught them something, but that has sparked passion in them and a, and a feeling that they can do it. Parents, I think we get a taste of this as well when our, with our children. Sometimes we teach a kid how to fix something on a car, how to start a fire, how to do something. And then later we see them doing that, maybe even taking it upon themselves. You know, you teach your kid how to do something and then suddenly you go out there and you, you find them in the garage tinkering and they're, they're doing exactly what you taught them to do and how you taught them to do it. There's a sense of pride that goes with that. You're like, hey, I taught them how to do that, and now I get to watch them doing that. It feels wonderful most of the time. Sometimes your kids learn things from you that are not so good. But thankfully, we don't need to get into that today. In our passage today, we get to see the apostles get it. And we get to see them begin to do the things that Jesus had taught them. See, up to this point, if we think about it, and, and remember Acts as that continuation of the, the, the book of Luke, it's the kind of only sequel we get in the Bible. We've had Jesus teaching. 
And he taught the disciples, and he taught the crowds too, but he also trained the disciples, gave the disciples opportunities to do their thing, so on and, and so forth. And, and then eventually he, he gave them the Spirit, and he ascended into heaven. And now the, the disciples and the apostles, they're on their own. And they have to take what Jesus has taught them and the Spirit that he has given them, and they need to move forward. And that's exactly what they did. See, I look at, ver- at chapter 3 and even going into chapter 4 as we really get to see the apostles taking up the ministry that Jesus had given them. And while the people were amazed at what they saw, the apostles weren't. And I have no doubt that Jesus, looking down from heaven, was not amazed either. For they were doing exactly what they had been commissioned to do. Let's look at this. So, what was the apostles do? What were the apostles doing? Our passage begins specifically with Peter and John. Now, it's highly likely that the other apostles were around. Maybe they had, had gone ahead. Maybe they were coming after. <coughs> the Bible doesn't tell us any of these details. But what it does tell us is that Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. This is roughly happening around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This was a regular time for prayer within the temple because this was also a time of sacrifice. And so a sacrifice would be be done and, and prayer time would be held. And it was very common for the people in Jerusalem to go to the temple at this time. There was people there. That's the important thing to remember. Now this tells us a little bit about where we are in the church. No one has left Jerusalem yet. Pretty much everyone who had heard the gospel and had received the the Spirit in just the chapter before had still remained in the city, and and they're still doing ministry there. No one's gone forth yet. And as they go to the temple, they come across a man who has been born lame. And what's interesting about this is this is a guy who was born lame. He, the way they kind of describe it, there was no strength in his legs, no strength in his ankles. Um, and his entire life, they have taken him to a particular gate at the temple. They have set him down in front of that gate. And what he has done every day of his entire life, except for probably Sabbaths, because I'm assuming that he still kept that, um, he would go to the temple and he would beg. And that's how he survived. You know, his people would take him there, he would beg, they would take whatever money that he made, they would buy the the essentials that he needed, and and that's how he lived. His entire life, and and, and rough, you know, we look at this, and he was probably in his 40s by this point. The people of the city knew who he was, and they knew where to find him, they knew the story, they knew everything about this guy. An interesting fact here is it says that they always put him by the beautiful gate. Now, there's not technically... If we go into the Old Testament, there's not technically a gate that is called beautiful according to like we talk about the fish gate and all the other gates. However, we have reason to believe that there was a gate that while all the other gates were done with gold and silver and, and, and all these different things, there was one gate that was different and it was totally bronze. And it shined with that bronze all the way around it and that was probably the beautiful gate because it was different than all the other gates of the temple. And so they go there, and that's where this man is, and, and finally they stop, and they, they get his attention. They say, hey, look at us. 
Now, and it says in the passage that he turned to look at them because he thought they were going to be giving him something. In fact, it would not have been uncommon and really pretty culturally acceptable that if you were going to give alms out, that's something you would do on your way to temple. It was kind of a, uh, not really a just, just for show, but a kind of a sign of, uh, of your generosity and your faith in God. It was doing a righteous thing before walking into the temple to kind of show that your heart is in the right place. And, and it was kind of common for when you did that to kind of let everybody know you did that. And so this man probably undoubtedly thought, okay, these people are going to give me a big gesture. They're going to give me a lot of money because they're wanting to kind of, they want everybody to look for a second. And so he's probably excited. He's very eager that these two are, are going to give him a, a, a sizable amount. He's going to have a good day begging in front of the temple. But Peter and John do something very different, and yet exceedingly better than this man could possibly imagine. They look at the man and they say, I don't have gold or silver, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. Now these words should remind you of something. In fact, we can begin to hit the rewind button and go back past Pentecost, past the ascension, past the resurrection and the crucifixion, past Jerusalem and the triumphant entry, and go all the way back and hit that rewind button all the way back to Luke 5. And in Luke 5, verses 23 and 24, we see something very familiar. Now, we know this story. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but Jesus has been teaching, and, and there has become such a crowd around him that people can't get in the building. Well, there were some friends who had another friend who was lame, and they carried him around on a mat, and they wanted to get him to Jesus, and they couldn't. And so they went up onto the roof and they began to remove the roof and they lowered that man down. When Jesus saw these men and he had compassion on their friend and he said, your sins are forgiven. Now naturally this caused a bit of an uproar. And in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 23, we read these words. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. See, what we see happening in Acts chapter 3 is the apostles literally doing what Jesus did. They saw a person. They knew that God could and would display His power through them to show this man love and grace and mercy. And so they stepped up on faith. 
and we get to see this man restored. Now, there is one very important difference between what Jesus did and what the apostles did. If we look again at what the apostles said, they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But Jesus just said, get up. See, the authority actually hadn't changed. See, Jesus did it by his own authority, but the apostles knew that they were doing it by the authority that they had been given from Jesus. And the apostles' actions in this first few verses of chapter 3 are a reminder to us that we should let others see Jesus in us. I wonder how many of the people who saw this happen and were hearing all about it and said, wait a minute, that's John and that's Peter, or at least the, that's those two of those Galilean guys that, that are, we used to roll with Jesus. And look, they did exactly what Jesus did. Do you imagine the murmuring? It's like, well, I'll tell you one thing. I saw Jesus. I, I, this is no joke. I saw Jesus. He told Peter, throw a hook in the water, and they pulled that thing out, and he had a fish, and he opened it up, and there was a coin in that fish, and that's how they paid their taxes. I'd done seen it with my own eyes. Well, if they're from Magnolia, that's maybe how they would have said it. And someone else said, that ain't nothing. I was just the other day over in Bethany, and there was this guy. What was his name? What was his name? La, La, Lazare. Leon Lazarus, that's his name. He was dead. And I watched that Jesus guy come up, and after he cried a little bit, they rolled the rock away, and he said, Lazarus, come out of there. And I thought, that's a terrible idea. That man's going to smell terrible. I even heard his sister say, but Lord, he stinketh. And wouldn't you know it, that Lazarus came right on out of there. And they took off his bandage, and he looked good as new. In fact, I think he's over there with them. And they're saying, and these guys, they're doing the exact same things. I knew that guy. I've given that guy money before. He's not new. In fact, I am, think about this for a second, if you were there and you're like, in fact, I am 30 years old and I cannot think of one time I went to temple that that man was not laying in front of the beautiful gate. And now, for the first time in his life, he's in the temple. Because he couldn't go to the temple if he was lame. He wasn't allowed. And not only is he in the temple, but he is leaping and dancing and praising God. And then he is going with the disciples and he is spending his time with the disciples. There is something amazing that happens when other people see Jesus in you. When they see you doing what Jesus does. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll give it to you. The, the likelihood of someone in this room causing the lame to walk or the blind to see or raising the dead is not great, not impossible. I don't know what mission field God may call you to and what opportunity God may set before you. I can't say it won't happen, but it probably won't happen. But we all have an obligation to let others see and get to know Jesus through us. 
by what we say, by what we do, by our behaviors, and by our faith. Paul said it well in 1 Corinthians 11.1 when he said, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And see, what caused, what, what's going to cause all of the uproar for the next two chapters of the book of Acts was the apostles doing what Jesus did. Imagine what kind of uproar we could create in Hardin County if we as a people set out to do what Jesus did in our community. So just like Jesus, we have this miraculous event, and just like Jesus, there becomes this opportunity to communicate this good news. See, we have all of this happen, and all of the murmuring happens, so much so, and I love what happens. It says that the man's legs are restored. He begins to leap and praise God. He, He enters the temple with Peter and John, something he's never done before. He's so excited about it. He is literally being a fulfillment to prophecy. I want to, this was brought to my attention as I was reading this passage. Isaiah 35, 6 says this. It says, then the lame will leap like the deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy for water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This was Isaiah talking about the day of the Lord and, and, and the Messiah. And so they, now he is in the temple praising God, and this man who was lame is now leaping like a deer. And because of this, our passage says that the people were literally running towards the apostles at Solomon's colonnade to see what on earth was going on. Now that's awesome. I would love to see the day where people are literally running to wherever we are, whether it's Tunnel Hill or one of our homes or ECTC campus or wherever it is, because God has done something and we are there. It says they, are, they ran to see it and Peter steps up to speak and explain what is going on. And this is one of those, again, one of those great questions of the Bible that has become, that's the, the title of our message today. He asked them the question right off the bat, why are you amazed? Now, the irony of this should not be lost on us. A man who was born lame is now leaping and praising God and able to walk and dance and do all of these things. This is amazing. But you have to love the fact that he's like, why are you amazed? Almost to say, like, we're just doing what Jesus was doing. Why, were you, why would you be surprised that the followers of Jesus would do what Jesus is doing? Why is this a surprise to you? Peter immediately tells the people that this man has been made well, that this man has been healed, not because of Peter or John. I have to love that. That's something I think is is so huge in this passage is he says, hold on a second. He says, why are you amazed? This man was not healed because of me. I didn't do this. Not my holiness, not my godliness, not my, my power or my authority. Like, I had nothing. I, isn't it funny to have James, or excuse me, John and Peter go, I didn't do this. It's a good attitude, I can tell you that much. He says, I, I didn't do this. I didn't do this by my own power. He says, but on the contrary, this man stands before you now because of Jesus Christ. 
Because Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, look again at verse 16. He says, by faith in his name, his name has made this man strong when, that you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him perfect health in front of all of you. He puts, and, and I think this is so huge, and this is something we have to recognize. When we are doing, when we are serving the Lord, when we are being a witness for the Lord, we have to, to live it. We have to let other people see Jesus in us by how we act and how we talk and how we interact with people and, and, and what we prioritize and how we live our lives. We have to do that, but guess what? You have to tell people too. I know that almost everyone in this room gets nervous talking about your faith. Is that a fair statement? And, you know, very few of us in this room are not nervous at all when it comes to talking about our faith. And I would argue no one in this room is confident about talking about their faith all the time, 100% of the time. No one. I'm not. Are you? I didn't think so. And there are times even in my life where I know that there's an opportunity for me to talk to someone about Jesus, and I, I don't do it. I balk. And I'm like, hey, yeah. Have a blessed day. We all do that. We have to recognize that not only do we have to live our life, not only do we have to show Jesus in our lives, but then we have to actually really tell people about Jesus. And that's what Peter does here is he tells them about Jesus. And I want you to notice he follows the exact same kind of formula that he did in the previous chapter. Let's look at this again. Um, I want to look at verses specifically 32, or excuse me, uh, verses 15 and 16. And I want you to notice how they directly link us back to Acts 2, 32 and 33. Acts 15, let's look at that again. He says this. Let me pick it up. He says this, he says, you killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Acts 2.32, it says, God raised this Jesus whom, who, uh, God raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. So the first thing we see that, that Jesus, or excuse me, that the apostles do when they're talking about this, he says, first off, I want you to understand, I saw Jesus raised from the grave. The first thing they did is they talked about their personal testimony, their experience with Jesus, that they had seen the risen Jesus. And I want you to understand something. You can do this today. I understand that no one here, and me included, has not actually seen and witnessed the resurrected Jesus. But you, if you are in Christ, you most certainly have experienced the resurrected Jesus' power in your life. You have a testimony. There was at some point in your life where God called to you, whether it was through a, a Sunday morning message or a camp, uh, a camp sermon or a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a, a pastor or youth person or Sunday school teacher or, or vacation Bible school or uh, uh, youth rally, whatever it might be, and somebody shared the gospel with you and you had an encounter with Jesus. And your heart was stirred up, and you became aware of your lostness, and you cried out to Jesus, and you were saved. And if that has not happened to you, we're getting to you. But make no mistake, there has been a time in your life where you, if you, if you are in Christ, where you have personally experienced the power of the resurrected Jesus. And people, please share that with people. 
I say this to some, to, to some of our older people um, whenever they let me get a chance to, but I think this is huge for every age group. Make sure your kids and your grandkids know how you came to know Christ. You should share that with them. I don't care if you do that at Christmas. I don't care if you do that over the summer. But there, I don't care if you do it over dinner sometime. But there should come a point where you sit down with your kids and your grandkids and you tell them, this is how I came to Christ. And, I don't, and you know what? You don't have to know everything. You don't have to remember all the details. Just tell them. I came to Jesus as a young man. And whatever your story is, I know for my grandmother, it was at camp. I love the fact that with my grandmother, who I love dearly, and is probably watching, so I'm going to get my brownie points right now, my grandmother got saved at church camp. And she told me, she said, I was at church camp. I don't remember what the pastor said. I don't remember what verse he was going from. I don't remember any of the details, but here's what I remember. I remember I felt something, and I knew he was talking to me, and I got up and I went forward and I made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. That's amazing. That's the best news ever. And her faith is solid because she knows that's when she became a Christian. That's when she knows she was saved from her sins. Make sure your kids know that. Make sure your grandkids know that. Write it down if you need to, but share it with them so that they know how you came to saving faith. So the first thing we have is our own personal experience, but then I love what happens next. Look again, we've read it already, is verse 16. When he says, um, let me get there, hold on. He says, by faith in this, in this, in his name, his name that has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given this man perfect health in front of all of you. So he started with what they had experienced and what they had witnessed, and then he shifted it to what the people were experiencing and what they had witnessed, namely that this man had been healed. See, they could see that the man had been healed. They could look at him and, and recognize like something has happened here. This man is healed. Going back to Acts 2, 33. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promise of the Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. Talking about Pentecost. In both cases, we have what God has, what we have seen and what we have witnessed and what we have experienced and what you have seen and what you have witnessed and what you have experienced right now. Guys, God is still doing this stuff. And God is still revealing the truth in, in so many different ways. And so often we can have opportunities where we tell people about Jesus and just say, listen, God has done a work in my life. And I gave my life to Jesus, and God has done a work in my life, and I believe that he is true 100%, and I know that you are looking at the, whatever has happened in your life right now, and you are wanting the answer to the question, what happened? And so for them in this moment, it was this guy that had been lame his whole life is now walking, but for someone else, or maybe for you here, you've seen your life fall apart when you did it your own way. And you're like, this ain't it. There's got to be something else out there. There's got to be a meaning here. 
Maybe you've seen something amazing happen. Like a child who we thought was going to pass that suddenly was healed, something miraculous, whether it's in a medical thing or a a dodged tree limb. And something miraculous, something wonderful has happened, and you're like, what happened? And we can go to those people and we say, listen, right now you're asking the question, what on earth just happened? And maybe it's because something not so good happened. Maybe it's because something really good happened. But let me tell you, the answer is Jesus. Jesus has happened in your life. And he has gotten rid of things that were keeping you from God. Or he has done things to draw you to him. And I want you to see right now, because I've been here and I've experienced something similar, the answer is Jesus. Jesus is calling you into a relationship with him. And he wants you to know him. He wants you to experience his power. He wants you to see that this whole Jesus thing is for real. That there really was a man named Jesus. That he was God in the flesh. That he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross to take our place for our sin And he rose from the grave three days later so that we could have eternal life if we put our faith in him. This is really something that we need to learn to implement in our life. You see for yourself all that God is doing all around you and then let me tell you what God has done for me. Finally, we see Peter do like he does in chapter 2, where he invites the people to place their hope and trust in Jesus. I'm going to go past what we read this morning and start pick up in verse 19. <coughs> and in verse 19, we read this. This is, G- this is still Peter talking to all the people. He says, Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing, refreshing, may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things which God has spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. So we see in this passage what, what, we are, what the, the response is. In fact, Peter gives us how to respond. He gives us how to respond and he also gives us Uh, what happens when we respond. So first off, how do we respond? We are called to repent and turn back from our sins so that they might be wiped out. And let me just say for a moment, I love that statement. Repent, turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. That term wipe out comes from a word in the Greek, uh, the main part of the word is to is to smear or blot or or wipe, and then the the beginning of it the, the the part is to be completely away. It is the idea of having something completely wiped away so that it is no more. Imagine for a moment a mirror. Say you're cleaning your bathroom and you get those spots on your mirror. I'm sure we all do. 
What this is saying is when it says, if you repent and you turn from your sin and you turn to Jesus, that God will completely wipe away your sin. It's saying that all those spots that might be on your mirror, he is taking that rag, he is taking that newspaper, whatever it is you use, and he is wiping that so it is completely clean, that there's no evidence, trace, anything of any blemish ever being there at all. Brothers and sisters, this is the heart of the gospel. God has sent his son to live, die, and rise again so that our sins might be completely wiped away through faith in him. Paul, as it is no surprise, used this same terminology when he wrote to the church in Colossae. In Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14, it says, And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespass. He erased, that's the wiped out, he erased the certificate of debt and its obligation that was against us and opposed us, and he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Man, that's good news, isn't it? What Peter is offering them is what we hear from Paul just a, a few years later, and it's saying, listen, if you will repent and place your hope and faith and trust in Jesus, God will wipe away your sin and your sin debt, and he will put you back in a right standing with God because that is what Jesus did on the cross. Next we see Peter promises them a season of refreshing that comes specifically from Christ's presence. When we give our life to Jesus, not only is our sins wiped away, but quite literally we are made new, set free, and energized by God's presence in our life through specifically the Holy Spirit. It brings truth to what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 40, 31 that says, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not be faint. See, the good news is good news, one, just because your sins are taken away, but not only is your sins taken away, but you are given the gift of eternal life and the Holy Spirit. And his presence in your life begins to transform you and mold you, and it makes you alive in ways that you can't even comprehend. Finally, Peter promises that Christ will return. In fact, not only that Christ will return, but that Christ will return and that he will restore all things. See, (coughs) we live in a day and age where everything we see, everything we think, everything we feel, everything we touch has been corrupted, has been changed because of sin. And we feel it, and we know it, and we know that we do things we shouldn't do. We feel things we shouldn't feel. We think thoughts we shouldn't think. We interact with people in ways that we shouldn't interact. And even as we look at the news and see things about wars and floods and earthquakes and, and tsunamis, we recognize that this is not how it's supposed to be, and you are right. But there will come a day. There will come a day when Christ will return. And things will become how they were supposed to be. In fact, God, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And if you are in Christ, you will be that new creation. 
and you will go on into eternity enjoying perfection in ways that we not, may not fully understand. But here's the thing. We don't know when he's coming back. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. What are you going to do? If you are with us today and you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that today is the day that you do that. I'm going to be standing up front in a moment, and, and you can come up and talk to me, but you don't have to. You can talk to one of the people next to you. We've got several deacons and other people around this church that would love to share what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. <coughs> you can talk to your parent or the person that brought you, maybe drug you kicking and screaming. We're glad you're here. If you've not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I, I pray that you would consider what we've talked about today. That you would take what we have testified and what you have experienced and may you place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ so that your sins might be wiped away, that you might be refreshed and made new through the presence of the Spirit and so that you might be ready for the day that the Lord returns. If you are here today and you have made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, gosh, I, I really hope that you see the urgency of what's being said here. Christ is coming back. And there is a world out there who desperately needs to see him and experience him and hear about him from you. And whether it's across the street, across the hall, or across the globe, will you go to people and tell them about Jesus? Let's pray. My God, my exceeding joy. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the promises that we have in Scripture. God, we praise you for the example that we have in, in John and Peter in this passage. Lord, it is my hope and prayer that, that today we would think about what has happened here in Acts chapter 3. And God, that it might move us to not only share our faith, but for some to receive that faith to believe in the good news of the gospel and to surrender their lives to you. Father God, it is such a blessing to see a student get it. And God, I know that that was true for the apostles, but God, I know that's true for us in this room as well. Lord, you want to see us get it. To do the things that you have called us to do. To go to make disciples of all nations. And God, I pray that we would start by making sure we are a disciple. And God, that you would be glorified in all these things. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.